Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Judy. Okay, can everybody hear me? Should I put this down or not touch it? Now, can you hear me? (laughs) I'm Judy, a compulsive overeater. And I have, uh, from from my history, I was anorexic, I was bulimic purge, bulimic non-purge, so I have experience with every range of the eating disorders. And thank you so much, Susan, for asking me to come here tonight and talk, and um, happy birthday to the birthday people. Congratulations to the chip takers. Uh, This is a a miracle, I believe, that I'm here. Uh, You know, it really is an act of higher power on my part that I'm here because I should not be here, and I'm here, and that's a miracle. And um, I just have today... And that's a miracle, and I do just have today. And um, I don't think, uh, you know, I know I, ha- I have time, so I understand that I have a, a, a practicing how to work the steps and the traditions and the concepts um, on a daily basis in my life. But I know I am, I'm a risk. You know, I, I don't ever take this disease um, for granted. So, mm, I, um, I was thinking today about the traditions and the, and the concepts because, you know, I, I think for me it's, it's important that I understand them generally in order to be not only a member, but uh, especially if there's a service position. And I also love the traditions to apply to my own life. And I'm going to say what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, but, but I, I tend to, uh, like, forget things and go off on, you know, things like tangents, and then the time's up. And so <laughs> there are a couple things I, I didn't want to forget, and that's that, you know, like in the concepts, there's the right to participate. In the concepts, there's a right to appeal. In the concepts, there's 12th concept is the, the spirit of a democracy. And what I love is, like, when we vote and there's a motion on the floor, I get one vote. That is so healing for me because in my life, I get one vote with my family. I get one vote. I don't get, like, 80 votes. Because I have time, I don't get a stronger vote. I get one vote. And to me, there's great freedom in that because it reduces me to you know, taking my own will or, the, or, or power or the misuse of power out of my, my daily life. You know, and we're in, it, we're in a time in our world and we don't, you know, our, our traditions have us not be allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institutions. However, I live in a world right now which is immersed and concentrated in this petri dish of the capacity to get an attitude. And, <laughs> and, and so hearing all that, 
I think for me, what's really critical in my life today is not, so they say principles, not personalities. But what, what is so beautiful to me today is that I get, to, I get to believe and be proactive when it comes to my principles. And I think that's just such a miracle. Not be a nutcase and go destroy myself and others and binge over it. Because that's what I used to do. You know, I used to just like get really angry and binge or get really angry and, you know, go, go on some kind of a willful tear before I was in this program. And being in this program, I learned to be right-sized. This is pretty important to me. You know, I get to be right-sized, and the steps help me with that, to be right-sized. So that means sometimes I don't win. The people I love vote differently than me. It's not my job to try to convince anybody. I cannot get anybody abstinent. That's shocking to me. You know, that is so shocking to me that if I, if something's good for somebody, why can't I control them to do that good thing, especially when it comes to the people I love? But this brings me to my own history in step one. You know, I mean, you know, I come from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I, I, you know, I came from a family where, where the, the, uh, the communication was food. How much did you eat? When did you eat? When did you not eat? What are you going to eat? What are we making for dinner? What are we making for breakfast tomorrow? Who's coming Saturday to eat? What are they bringing? Did you eat? Why didn't you? You know, how much did you? Why didn't you? You know, my mother, my mother, I, you know, one of the many Thanksgiving dinners, because, you know, when you got a lot of addiction in the family, you got a lot of drama, right? And she's mad at my father because he didn't compliment her pie, so it's Thanksgiving, and she took the turkey and she threw it, Pennsylvania, threw it out into the snow, and you know, we're, we're running outside to get the turkey, you know. <laughs> so underneath that, though, but this is how we learned to talk, you know, like, like through food, you know, my sister, I, I took my husband back, uh, my daughter and my husband were back in D.C., and I was abstinent during this time, you know, my sister, my sister said, uh, does your husband like scallops? And I'm like, I don't know, ask him, you know. And she's like, I don't know how many scallops to make for dinner. And I'm like, uh, just, you know, ask him. So she asked him, you know, and, and then I, and then she said, do you want more scallops during dinner? And, and he said yes, and she looked at me, you know, like, like I had committed a huge crime, you know. Like, you don't know how many scallops your husband wants for dinner. <laughs> She was, like, enraged at me, you know. She goes in the kitchen, throwing around pots and pans, making more scallops, you know. So it wasn't always an atmosphere of love when it came to the food, you know. But you get, you, so, so this was used as a way of communicating. And I remember, you know, so, so when I got asked, you know, I came out here. I, I was always on diets back there, you know, in Pennsylvania. And I, I remember in college, you know, I... This is the first step. I was obsessed with my food, right? And I'm at Penn State, and I have these roommates, and I would stay up all night because they were going to steal my food. And I would think about that. They're going to steal my food. What am I going to do? I remember one night I got, got up out of bed. I, we had a garbage disposal in the hallway. I took everything out of every closet in the refrigerator, and I threw it in the garbage can so I could sleep. Now, that's pretty insane. <laughs> Like, if I'm not powerless over my obsession with food, and my life is unmanageable, but, you know, I didn't see it that way. 
I was always trying to conf- my food, my weight. You know, I had a, a, a boyfriend, Ray, and uh, we were going to try to get married. Uh, you know, a very conservative Pennsylvania girl, uh, overweight. Um, I was either I was going to go to college or marry him. And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, he, he told me you're so heavy, so I wore an extra girdle. You know, I would, like, pack on the girdles. And uh, and I, I remember my first successful diet and, and how I I just remember that feeling of control, you know. Like, I thought, wow, I, I got it down, you know, because I, I was just eating little portions. But it was constantly back then. I would gain the weight back and lose weight and gain the weight. But for me, the most important part of the eating disorder, which I think is so destructive, is a defective character, which if you're new, five and six I really love, and four is sneaking. I don't sneak. Part of my abstinence, I'm, I'm 31 years of continuous abstinence. That's back, back to back. That's back to back abstinence. I came in in 1979. But I was a sneak. I love to sneak. Now, the problem with sneaking is everybody knows you're sneaking. You know, that, it's like the problem with lying. When you're lying, everybody knows you're lying, really. You know, or they have a good idea. And that isolation and dishonesty and two, you know, like, like that I'm powerless over sneaking, isolation, preoccupation, obsession, compulsion, blackout eating. You know, I was a blackout eater. I would swear off, and I don't, you know, I, and, and in this, these rooms, I, with 31 years, it's so critical that I continue to identify. But with, with time, it's more important that I identify than in the beginning. Because in the beginning, I was so beat up, I identified. And now, if there's somebody in the room that, that I don't like, or I don't like what they're saying, or they have different thoughts or ways of doing the program that I do, I did like an animal for where do I identify. Not because I want to be like, in your eyes, the nice lady, but because I don't want to hurt myself. I had this conversation with my husband today because, you know, I, I have a big family, and, and I said, we have to find a way to find peace in this situation, in this marriage, because especially in, in family, you know, like families can like work up a storm together, and I cannot afford to do that over, over especially over another person's behavior or another person's principles. But, so I, I, the second step in the program, what I do when I come into these rooms is I try to identify with you. Um, and, and so what that does is it reminds me always in this program of my own compulsivity, my own ability to like blackout eat. Because I was a blackout eater. I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't, I, I, I would look in retrospect and think, what did I do? You know, somehow, like I remember early on, I, I had a job. I this was in '79 when I first came into the program, but. You know, I would I would work my job, and then I would go to Dolores's and have you know breakfast, and then I'd go on my break and have a, an omelet with you know a bunch of food, other stuff, and then I'd have like a couple pies, and then I have an, I would just go on this thing, and then the next day I would wake up and I would think, what happened yesterday? What happened? I I I graduated magna cum laude, and that did me nothing. 
I put myself on a behavior modification program. Oh, seriously, I thought, okay, you go on a diet and you lose five pounds and you get two Charleston shoes. <laughs> and I had them in my nightstand, and every night I'd think, I can't wait to get this five pounds off because I'm going to go after that candy bar. It didn't work. It never stuck. Till I came in these rooms, and I came in in 79, and it didn't stick. You know, I came in, I was, I just, you know, I, I, I did not concede to my innermost self that I have a compulsion and an obsession and a spiritual malady. I did not concede to my innermost self. I still thought I could control it. And to me, that's what's so cunning, baffling, and powerful about this disease that I thought I should be able to apply control. And it is a disease that I cannot control. I know that. So, you know, I've had a sponsor since I came in here. I, I work with my sponsor. I have sponsees that I work with, that we work the steps together. I, um, on a daily basis, I get up in the morning. I, I pray. I do some meditation. I do my reading. I go to meetings. Um, I'm of service. I keep this program very, very simple. You know, I don't get really, like, fancy and, and add, like, some newfound twist on the program because, to me, the purity of this program is, is what has really saved my life. But when I came in here, you know, I just, I was powerless over my own, like, blackout eating you know, I, I, I would go, I would plan to not eat, I would be on a diet, and before you know it, I would, I would end up somewhere binging. And I could never understand that. I, it was, like, profoundly confusing to me. And um, so, you know, in 79, when I came in, I'd, I'd go to meetings every so often, and I'd say, uh, oh, I'm sorry everybody can't make it like I have. Because, uh, you know, I, I don't really need to go to meetings, and I just came here to tell y'all I'm doing well. <laughs> I know. Little did I know my, my life was heading south, you know. I just didn't get it. Uh, and, and then in 1979, I, I had a dear friend. I, do, I, I still talk to her, you know. I, it's funny. Well, anyhow, I, I, I talked to her this week, you know, and Leslie Kay, and I... Uh, you know, we were working together, and I was always sorry, you know, oh, you're, you're not abstinent, and you need to get abstinent. And, and I wasn't going to the program, by the way. This is from 79 until 31 years ago, right? And I, and I remember, so 31 years ago, we were, we were together, and uh, I was going back to Pennsylvania to see my family. And my family, for me, was like a really big trigger. So I, I had been what I considered abstinent. And so in 79, I go back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Leslie and I are having lunch together because, you know, you're binging. And I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> because I, I was in denial about me binging. Like, I wasn't, like, binging knowing, like, wow, I'm binging. I was in denial that I was binging. So I binged all the way back to Pennsylvania. And when I got back to Pennsylvania, I went into my roommate's, ex-roommate Marjorie Ziff, her, you know, I'm back in Pennsylvania, and I go into her bathroom, and I throw up a piece of broccoli, just a piece, and I hadn't thrown up for years, and I, and I thought, well, maybe, and I hadn't been for years either, but, and I came back, and I said to Leslie, you know, I, I'm going to keep my abstinence, because, you know, a little bit of broccoli, no big deal. 
And she said, she said, you are a liar. And I, I was totally shocked. You know, and at this point, um, also, I, I got into, it, it, around the same time, I also got sober. Um, I'm a 36-stepper. I go to three. <laughs> you know, I have like a myriad of addictions uh, that are, thank God for today, you know, long-term recovery. Um, but I remember when Leslie said I was a liar, I was so shocked. And even, even in that relationship, you know, she said, I can't be around you anymore. You're willful. You're out of control. And I can't be around you unless you come back to the program. And basically, I said, then don't be around me. Because I didn't see how out of control my life was. You know, and so when I came back, you know, when I came 31 years ago and really conceded to my innermost self and started to work the steps with the sponsor and really did surrender and get abstinence, I, I have an abstinence that has changed over time. But with my abstinence, the agreement I have is that I talk to my sponsor before I change my abstinence. So that means I have to talk to my sponsor. I can't. I can't come up with a, 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 a new, bad, good idea because I'm in China, Korea, no matter where I am. I have to have a conversation, talk in person with my sponsor before I change my abstinence. And so I have been doing that all these years. And, and what that does is it, it takes the ability to go into like a blackout out of my choices. And that's really helpful to me because over time, I, I remember I was in I was in Italy and um, I called. It was Leslie I called because I couldn't get in touch with my sponsor. And I said, "Well, you know, my daughter. No, I was in Paris with my daughter. I said I'm going to have I'm going to have some sugar. I hadn't had sugar for I don't know maybe like ten years or something. I said." You see how this works, right? I'm 10 years in the program. I, I even spoke at a meeting in Paris, and uh, I called her to say, you know, I'm going to uh, bring sugar back into my abstinence while I'm here on vacation. <laughs> Is that insane or what? <laughs> you know, talk about a bad, good idea, right? And, and uh, she's like, well, you know, can you wait till you get home to integrate your sugar back into your abstinence? And I thought, yeah, I can do that. That I can do. And when it's broken down to that, that moment, I can do that. When I came in early on, you know, I, I remember I would stand at night at the refrigerator and I would cry. And I'd be there at like 3 in the morning crying at my refrigerator. Because, because I had to have that, that food to fix what was going on in my life at that moment. And I didn't have it. So in my fourth step, if we fast forward a little bit, what came to light is I needed to change a lot of things in my life. And the miracle of this program is that if I keep my abstinence and I stay close to the program, what happens to me is there's always a transformation. There has always been a transformation beyond my wildest dreams when I, one day at a time, seek God's will for me. When one day at a time, I look at five and six, and I, I do my fifth step and talk to my sponsor about my defects of character. What's my part in this? You know, 
Um, where am I trying to be controlling, you know, in an area in which I cannot control? That sounds, that if anyone here has tried to control something when it comes to life or death, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about control like fashion design. I'm talking about like control life or death kind of stuff. And I cannot control another human being. I can, I can take care of me. I can be powerless over me. I can uh, take direction from my sponsor and from people I love for me. But I cannot control others. I can give them my vote, but I cannot control others. And when I did my fifth step, there was great relief in that because a lot, of, a lot of what I was trying to do when I was a kid, you know, I was thinking about this today. When I was a kid, I, uh, I, we were having some family problems, and I remember I was like six, and I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make salad dressing for my family, and this will probably shape everybody up. So... <laughs> I'm like six years old, right? And underneath my bed, I had uh, I, I would take water and I had this big bucket and I would put candy in it. And I had this plan that one that one day in my family I was going to serve this uh, this salad dressing. And when I served it, everything would be better. Now that's that's like a pretty pretty like that's like a little kid trying to control things, right? And I remember when I, when I served that salad dressing, how things didn't change. And I was, <laughs> I was so shocked, you know. And, and so the beauty is today I can, I can have my vote, you know, and look at six and seven and my defective character, even when I think I can control myself. I mean, there are areas where I think, like in life, I can control me, and I can't. I just can't. Like I... You know, like I talked this morning, I spoke at a meeting and how, like, I would like to be the kind of person, and, and I kind of think I look this way, but I'm not, because I, I think I look this way, but, but like, you know, like when I go to the gym, like I want to go, you know, like I'm excited, like I'm disciplined, you know, I'm that type, I'm the one that gets ready, I turn up at the gym, I work out, you know, I'm the one that's jumping higher, really, you know, tensing up everything, maximizing my strength. That's not me. <laughs> when I go to the gym, you know, because <laughs> I go like three times a week, right? I hate it. I don't want to go. It's the same thing every time, right? I mean, look at the defects of character, right? Progress, not perfection. I don't want to go. I'm not going to go. There's something else I have to clean. I have to call somebody. I have to arrange something. I have to organize something. I have to check an email. You know, I have to do something. I feed the dog. So, like, I'm always late for the gym. Always late. You know, I don't want to go. I always look like a disaster. Sometimes people see me out in the world for my profession, you know, in my profession. Because professionally, I get dressed up and... They'll like be like, oh God, look at her! <laughs> My hair will be like out here. I don't have any makeup on. Maybe I even have kind of semi what I wore to bed to the gym, you know. But <laughs> but I'm all like, you're gonna go. You're just gonna go. But I am like a dog, you know, that's not gonna move going to the gym. And then I get to the gym. And then I kind of scan and judge, judge people at the gym. 
Yes. (laughs) And the the point of this is six and seven, because then I go, oh, yeah, you have to entirely ask God to remove your defective character. How if that lady just jumped in front of you on your place and took your spot, and does she know what she did? And you all better go up there and dance in front of her and knock her down. (laughs) Not very spiritual, right? You know, does she understand that she's in my space at the gym? And and then what I do is I always, like, with that person, I always, because six and seven, right, defective character, humbly ask God to remove my shortcoming, I smile. I smile, I move back. Now that, I, I move back, I, I get into position because, you know, I've been in meetings where people fight over seats. And I don't want to be the seat fighter. I'll move. Why? Not because I'm not a tough fighter cookie, but because I do not want to engage in controversy that's unnecessary. Now, there's some controversy that's necessary. Like, for example, at the gym. There's a... <laughs> class that comes in after my class and the teacher tries you know she closes it down like five seven minutes early and the people come in the wrong door and then they start yelling at everybody you know they start yelling at us and 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 no matter what i say like oh we're we're coming out five minutes early you got plenty of time they start yelling and kind of bullying so i went to management because of the principal and i don't want to keep my resentment so i took appropriate action and I went to the management, and I said, why don't you tell those people to take hip-hop, because they're uptight. <laughs> I said, tell them, to, tell them to come to this class. And, uh, and I said, could you do something about how mean they're being to us when we're trying to leave? And then the next week, I went to the gym, and they were all like, people weren't knocking us down and pushing us. But when it comes to shortcomings and defects of character, that could have bugged me. You know, I mean, that could... Trying to push me down when I'm trying to leave, leave a class, which is hard for me to get to in the first place, could really bug me. And so I just have my vote. If those keep, people kept trying to push me down, at 10 minutes left, so I'll open it up for questions, but if they kept trying to push me down, I would have to make a decision. Do I let the tailgater pass? Because I lose the battle, win the war. That's what I've learned here. I lose the battle, win the war. That's really powerful. You know, and and that might seem like, oh, yeah, big deal, you and your gym story. But you know what? I could go out on that. I could go decide I'm going to have like 20 scoops of ice cream because when I was obese and overweight, I shut up. I shut up. And when I did my fourth step, I learned I had to make a lot of changes. Like, for example, I'm no longer with my ex-husband for that long. That's one change I made. (laughs) God love him, God bless him, you know? (laughs) But that thing needed to be over. (laughs) You know, he was at our house last month. I had a big party for all the family, and he's there, and his wife's there, and my husband that I met in the program is there, and... Grandkids are there, and everybody's there, and, you know, it's really beautiful. But you know what? We need to not be together anymore. <laughs> that was a good thing. And so these are the kind of things I, lo- I learned from my four-step. What I learned is, like, so, you know, direct amends, of course I've made my amends. 
I think that's really important. I've learned I had amends I didn't know that I've made after I've been abstinent. Like, I got a doctor bill once and abstinent. I was like, who is this? Oh, yeah. You went to this doctor a long time ago and you still owe money. Um, so I, you know, made my amends. Ten steps I do, you know, on a daily basis. I make direct amends wherever possible except for when to do so would injure them or others. I do it. I run it by a sponsor. I pray and I meditate. I think this, this, this program is a miracle. And everything I say today here stops me from deciding I'm going to start taking water pills. You know, I'm 64. I have a belly. That's going to happen. I tried 100 sit-ups a night. I thought, I'm going to overcome this belly. Well, guess what? That's not going to happen. I tried 100 sit-ups a night, and I got back problems. <laughs> i got to accept that. Anyhow, I think I'll close with that. If you're new, there's great hope. And uh, ten minutes we have to open or seven to, for questions. Uh, so does anybody have a question? What are the gifts of the program that I could have never imagined? Well, I do something creatively, and I, I, I figured out early on in the program, you know, in my living room I would have paints everywhere. Because I decided if I was, you know, in a mood or something was going on, I was going to transform it and I was going to turn it into art. Now, this is not my profession, so I'm not bringing, you know, violating the tradition. So, it's not my profession, but I decided I would do it into art. When I met my husband, he walks in, he sees all these paintings and everything. And my, my husband, I met him at a meeting. We got married. We were together 24 years. He's a great guy. I'm still with him. We have a great marriage and everything. But... So that's what I've decided, you know, if something's going on, how far can I go transforming it? So I wanted to be part of this thing that happens in Los Angeles for 20 years. For 20 years, I applied to this thing. It was a dream of mine. It was like, it was as high as I can go as far as wanting to be where I wanted to be in a creative way. And every year for 20 years, I got rejected. And so every year for 20 years, I applied no matter what. And every year I re got rejected. And last year they rejected me. I said, you reject me every year. They said, to come next year. I said, will you reject me? I said, the only reason I'm doing this is because I'm good at rejection. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they took me. And so 20 years of rejection. And that, to me, that was like a miracle. That was a personal best. And it was all the hours of taking an emotion and not like, doing anything destructive with it, like starving, going on a diet or anything like that, but turning it into creativity. Or I call a newcomer, or I turn up and I'm of service, and I watch other people's lives change beyond, really, my wildest dreams. So that's the answer to that one. Talk about my higher power and my relationship to my higher power. Yes. Yes. Um, 
I was raised rather religious, and so I used to spend a lot of my time with my higher power telling my higher power, look, if you're so powerful, there are certain things you ought to be paying attention to. And I have a list, you know. And then when I got abstinent, like one was, okay, higher power, my father, he's, because my mother had just passed away, my father has to live, or all bets are off. This is what I told my higher power. And uh, my father passed away. So I had a spiritual crisis, so much so that I was on the way to speak up at, I don't know, it was a drug and alcohol center at an OA meeting. I was so mad at God, you know, I'm on my way, I'm driving north, to, uh, I was so mad because my father was diagnosed and going to pass away at God. And I saw that I was driving south on the 405 freeway to North Hollywood. And I was so out of control, mad at God. And I had a spiritual awakening. And that was that I, with faith, I can get through anything. With faith in a higher power, it's how do I get through these situations like life on life's terms. And I have a very strong higher power. If I'm concerned about something, and this is really helpful to me, and I pray, 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 which I do sometimes at night, and you might call it worry or obsession at 3 o'clock in the morning, but I call it prayer. If I'm at night thinking about somebody I love, I am praying. I am praying. I pray, 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 pray. And sometimes with my higher power, I don't get my vote, but what I've gotten so far always is faith. And to me, that's a great miracle. And the other part of my higher power, I ask my higher power every morning. I say, let me sit still and listen to you. What would you have me do? I ask to listen. I ask for signs. You're not supposed to do that. My first sponsor told me, don't ask for signs. I do. Once in the beginning, I was very upset. I I was so upset, and I was on my way to a meeting. I was very upset, and I stopped at this shoe store, and... This guy had this pair of shoes he, he was fixing, and they were beautiful green sparkly alligator shoes. And, and I thought, oh, they're so pretty, you know. And I was on a budget, and, and I said, he told me they were $100. This is 30, 31 years ago. I said, oh, I can't afford them. He said, you can have them. I wore those miracle shoes until my feet got big, because when you get older, your feet get bigger. But I, <laughs> but I wore those shoes, because they were my miracle shoes. I was in such despair that day. Such despair. That day, my sponsor said, come to a meeting, meet me. That's how it works, right? And and I got those miracle shoes. I wore them every year. Little angels. I think there's angels everywhere. I do. I always see them. They always turn up. What's my meal plan and uh, the evolution of that? Well, I've been, in the beginning of this this last 31 years, it was guilt-free eating that I agreed that I was going to eat with my sponsor, and I have done that for 31 and a half years. So I've been abstinent for 31 and a half years. When I was in, uh, uh, I think it was Paris, I did not, I didn't do what I planned on doing, and I stayed abstinent because I made the call and talked to somebody. So I came in on Gracie in 1979, and Gracie back then was like, you know, portions and everything else. And for me, I really respect that that works for some people. For me, 
my abstinence has to be nurturing, and it's got to be things I really love and look forward to, and I'm a baker and a cooker and all that kind of stuff, so that helps. But my abstinence has changed over the years. Like, in the beginning, I could have sugar. But what happened is I noticed that it's like, okay, like I remember in the beginning, I, I remember what happened is I would, became obsessed with sugar in my abstinence, so it got removed, so I stopped having sugar. So I haven't had sugar for maybe, I don't know, eight, 18, maybe 30, 30 years. And so my abstinence is written down on a piece of paper. It's like a menu, and I stay with that. I have three meals a day, nothing in between. And, uh, but I could change it. I just have to talk to my sponsor. And that three meals a day, nothing in between, no sugar, no white flour has worked for me for maybe, I don't know, 25, 30 years. So one day at a time. And I'm done. That's it. Thank you. Thank you.